Hey, it's Keith. I believe in energy. When I say I believe in it, I mean that I, I like to conceptualize the world through the concept of energy. I like it because it is a, a quite fluid and flexible concept. And I like the, the themes it's talking about in every situation in which it's used. And I want to touch on three of them today. I'm thinking about personal energy, like how much energy you have to spend in a day and how you feel doing all that. It's been especially pertinent to me because I just feel very lazy and lethargic lately. I'm recovering from this broken foot, which is coming along very well. It's almost 10 weeks since I've had surgery on it, but I've been unable to put any weight on it, limited to crutches to get around things, and it just kind of limited my mobility, obviously, and I've just done less. And I feel like that might have like this kind of circular uh, phenomenon to it where it's like the less you do, the less you feel like doing or something like that. So energy has just been on my mind a lot uh, in terms of just how much I kind of covet more energy and how, you know, I <laughs> I need coffee. I need to take, you know, my um, <laughs> attention medications and I feel like that brings me up to an equilibrium, to like a base level of energy where I can just accomplish basic tasks in a day. And without that stuff, I just feel kind of sapped and yeah, lethargic. Um, and I don't like feeling it that way. It doesn't interest me at all to feel down or low. Those aren't the kind of drugs that I'm attracted to. That's not the kind of lifestyle I'm attracted to. Even though I am kind of like, I've been described or accused perhaps as being a lazy person. Um, I think that's more about how, what, I, what I choose to do with my life than my actual lifestyle, which I think is quite active. And so it's been a challenge for me to feel so limited and to have my energy kind of sapped and depleted. And I will have to say, uh, without insult to my parents, that living with older people has an effect on my energy level also. And I think of my parents actually as very energetic, especially for their age. But nonetheless, like, it's a very different, like, noticeable quality difference, quantitative difference in terms of how much energy is expended. And it's tricky, right? Like, I remember being stuck on this concept uh, of, like, brain activity and thought and if, if, or if that burns energy or not. And I've heard both sides. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe more medically minded people might know that. But it's weird, right? Like work requires energy. All work requires energy. But like a desk job looking at a computer screen, calculating things in your mind or creating things in your mind, you know, of course there's some physicality to it. There's posture in your chair. There's your hands moving. There's fidgeting. Um, there's like physical things happening, but you're, it's certainly not manual labor. And I think everybody can kind of agree that, um, you know, doing construction or building a house with your bare hands or even tools <laughs> expends more energy, right? So 
but I do think as somebody that like has a lot of like <laughs> work that is very sedentary looking that it definitely still takes energy, mental energy. And that's a real thing. Then of course, there's this concept of the energy market and power and electricity, which I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I suppose we've all been thinking about it a lot more with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, this whole war in Eastern Europe. Um, so much of that is about energy and very, you know, very literally about the geopolitics and global economics of trading for oil and gasoline, of which Russia is, if not the biggest producer in the world, one of the biggest producers. I think it might be like Saudi, Canada, slash America, Russia, something like that. Those are those four are in the top five. Um, and Germany is the biggest purchaser of Russian uh, energy. Perhaps it's more productive to use the actual word gas and oil. Um, and that's that's been very tricky for for Europe as a in general to like negotiate this need for energy with a desire for peace and to not just capitulate to what Putin wants. And this isn't just specific to Russia and Ukraine and Germany, of course, you know, even Americans and Californians have to think about energy. And I've been doing that as well. Um, in my hometown of Sacramento, there was recently a heat wave where it got really hot, like it hit 116 Fahrenheit, which is like 42 or something. Um, that's kind of unheard of. You know, those are like desert numbers that you would experience maybe in Phoenix, Arizona. But to have that in Central California is pretty wild. It does get hot here, so it's not insanely unbelievable, but it's like, it's quite wild. You know, like most summers it might peak at 100. So it hit 116 is really, really something. Um, and it makes people think about energy uh, because, well, of two reasons, I suppose. There's the the concept of one's carbon footprint and how much energy you are consuming as a as a citizen or as a homeowner or a, a, just a person. Um, you consume that energy through all your electricity, and in cases of the heat wave, you're consuming air conditioning power, which is a very big consumer of energy. So that's a big factor uh, that I want to touch on and I have some thoughts about. And then there's this final topic of energy. And when I say I believe in energy, it's this final one that I'm really thinking about, which is just like this sort of invisible force within the world and behind things. And this is the most, you know, sort of airy-fairy kind of angle here on this word. But I really think about that, too. I think about it a lot. And, um, yeah, I want to touch on that. But I guess first I'll go deeper into these other ones. So where should I start? Should I just do it in the order that I presented them? I kind of want to go, I want to mix up the order a little bit to keep it a little more, um, 
I think it flows better if I speak <laughs> on the topic of the market for solar, wind, nuclear, uh, petrol, and then go into like the more, you know, bodily energy and then go from there outward and then I'll end. So on this topic of renewable energy, for instance, the other side that we see when I said that we like kind of approach this twice, we think about how we consume it and then we think about the planet and what we're doing to the planet because we're burning so many fossil fuels and polluting and you know hurting the ozone or more specifically in today's language, uh, you know we're emitting the greenhouse gases that create global warming and climate change. And so I have I have a lot of thoughts about this and I'm just gonna try and get them out here. So like everyone that I know, practically, I accept that climate change is a huge deal, something that humans have essentially caused, in some part at least, and needs attention politically and globally. Now, I'm slowing down as I say that because I actually don't know how strict I am with thinking that way nowadays. Um, you know, in my whole like red pilling of, you know, trying to understand concepts better and trying to like really consider my own beliefs about stuff, I've really been pulling back as much as I can about a priori knowledge and just ideology and just belief and trying to look at facts. And it's hard for us to do that because most of us, myself included, don't quite feel educated enough on any specific topic to really know what we're saying and to like say it with authority. So I'm going to say this with modesty and humility because I definitely don't know all of the facts. It doesn't seem like anybody does, quite frankly. When I listen to experts, it's still hard to like decipher how much rhetoric and ideology is in what they're saying you know like dr fauci not related to climate but related to uh, um, infectious disease and uh, immunology is it is it immunology you know he's even admitted for instance that a lot of what he says public facing as a sort of head of science in a governmental or department so to speak a lot of what he says he says for effect he doesn't say it as a scientist per se he doesn't say something factual to present information he says things to persuade he says things to control public behavior and he's quite famous for doing that with the masks and stuff for saying that they weren't effective and he said that apparently in order so that there wasn't a rush on uh ppe um, I'm forgetting that acronym, personal something equipment. Um, but it's like, if you're a scientist, just say the facts, like, does it, are, are masks effective or aren't they? And when you politicize and propagandize information like that, it's like, why are, why are any of us surprised that so many people don't trust the government, don't trust certain, you know, fact or propagandizing or um you know mass media like all of this is suspect because people's motivations are unclear so i have to say i sympathize a lot with that and with climate change i've been i've become more and more sensitive to the way people talk about it 
And I'm going to mention Jordan Peterson here. Jordan Peterson, um, my, my love and respects and, um, those kind of uh, positive words, those kind of feelings for him peaked probably a few years ago, like before he got sick, he got addicted to benzos and he's since recovered through a harrowing process of recovery. And since then he hasn't really been the same. He's definitely lost a bit of his mind. I would say he's more erratic. He's more, um, like he's more like prone toward anger and stuff like that. And a lot of what he's saying now is a bit mad. He seems like a madman a bit. And I can admit that even though I remain to be a fan of his, but, um, you know, most, a lot of people have disliked him for a long time, even before all that. And I've always defended him as a really wise man who has a lot to teach me and a lot of other people on a lot of different topics, just looking at the world in a really smart way. But even before his fall from grace, so to speak, he was saying some things that made me have a double take, like question if I agreed with him or not. And one of those takes was challenging climate change. I thought that was really wild in 2019 for him to do that, you know, like, cause I kind of idolized him because he, because of his writings and his lectures that most of his critics don't even know about. Um, and then for him to like become this kind of public figure, everyone was, all journalists wanted the, mo- the most provocative sound bites from him. They wanted to like get the headlines and make him a big, you know, provocative star mission accomplished, I suppose. And one of the things that people would bring up to him would be climate change. And he would actually say that he had some skepticism toward this entire, what should I call it, fever of uh, the politics of climate change. And at the time, I thought, well, that's a little crazy. Of course, climate change is a huge deal. Like, I was a Leonardo Leo DiCaprio fan of his movie about it. Like, I've been a fan of you know, An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore since, like, way back when. Um, and I still really care about the environment, to be honest. Um, and maybe that surprises you, dear listener, because I don't necessarily act like I care about the environment, in quotes. Um, but I do. I definitely care about my environment. I care about everything surrounding me. I care about order. I care about design. I care about color and lights, how much light comes into a room. Um, of course, this is not what we mean by an environment, but it should be because, uh, I like to respect my environment. I like trash to go into a bin. I don't like things laying around my house and I feel the same about the planet. I don't like an unkempt planet. I don't like creating waste and pollution and trash and, you know, detritus for no reason. But I'm willing to accept some amount of that for a certain lifestyle, you know? And I I challenge you, dear listener, how much are you willing to give up in your lifestyle for the sake of your carbon footprint politically? You know, like, basically, I'm getting a little off topic. I want to try and stay on this point with Peterson. But my thought about that is that we all have profited immensely as Western culture from burning fossil fuels, from the industrial revolution, from continuing to burn gas in order to maintain 
our lifestyles of driving, but not just driving, the grid, powering our electric grids and running all the electricity we use. And my mom might even tell me that I use too much electricity, but it's like, why? Because I have two or three extra things plugged in at any given time than you. I mean, it's a kind of, (laughs) it's a nuance that's, (laughs) how could I say this? The difference between my mom and I in terms of how much we consume is practically zero versus, you know, somebody living in, where should I pick? Maybe a pygmy tribe, you know, who has no electricity, or maybe like a hut in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, um, where people are burning wood to cook food and how much pollution that causes how much deadly toxic carcinogens wood makes it's really wild how dangerous actually wood is it's almost like (sighs) (laughs) so i'm saying a lot i'm putting a lot on the table here it's a very tricky thing to have this discussion around energy because people are very um very (laughs) sensitive with their relationships to energy. And we don't really know what it means when we think about how much energy we consume. We don't really even know what that means. So what I mean by that is like, when you take things at scale, you have basically a power plant for a place like, let's say, um, California. Um, So the US is essentially three grids. There's a West Coast grid, there's an East Coast, that goes all the way to basically um, the center of the country, to the mountains. Um, there's an East Coast grid, and then there happens to be like a big Texas grid, or a small grid by comparison. And these three grids are kind of, they're kind of connected, but you can kind of think of them as separated if you want. But it's like, it's hard to really say, and I, I have to admit that my limits of knowledge um, will be, are testing, are being tested as I speak. Um, and this is a hard thing to research. I know a lot of you want me to really be extremely researched on this stuff but my i don't feel like my job here is to educate you on the exact grid system my job here is to suggest looking at something slightly differently and in that sense i don't think the actual details of like the how much the california grid is connected to let's say the colorado grid i don't think these things are as important as this the big picture i'm getting to which is this we have power grids that give electricity to hundreds of millions of people, okay? Now, at scale, we are not polluting or burning so much fossil fuel per person, really, if you compare an industrialized place like the US or Western Europe to somewhere like India or Nigeria, or Sub-Saharan Africa in general, places that have yet to fully industrialize, developing places pollute even more because it's less efficient. So if you're if if somebody has to cook food for their family or tribe or self, and they have to their only technology are clay pots with open flame made with wood and a spark of ember, whatever, that is so much less efficient 
so much less of that fire is going into the cooking of the food and a good amount of it is dissipated into the into the air and that air is visible because it's black it's so much worse for an individual's health and for the planet if every person is burning their own wood every day so by comparison an industrialized place that has a power plant that yes burns let's say a fossil fuel like coal you know that's creating a lot of pollution but per person that amount of pollution is less than someone in this developing part of the world in a tribe so i want that to be clear that when we fetishize this like guilt we have over our carbon footprint it's kind of this it's a bad look to me because it's kind of like this snub of poor people because it's a very it's a very first world problem quite literally it's a first world problem it's a it's a privileged problem to be so concerned with how sanctimonious your amount of waste is or how much you know how how much your personal impact on the earth is i think it's like very very egocentric to even think of the world through your specific individual contribution to pollution and I will say, and this is for educational purposes, the whole concept of a carbon footprint was created by a big industry. Can't remember which one, which brand, but it was like um, one of these enormous brands. It might have been BP, British Petroleum. I think it was them. It might have been um, Con Ed or some other like big supplier of energy. But this whole concept was like, hey, consumer, you should think about how much fuel you're burning. Which is another way of saying, hey, citizens, don't look at what we're doing as a huge industry. Don't look at what we're doing to pollute, you know? Like when you, I don't know if, if any of you remember video footage of like these oil tankers <laughs> crashing and leaking millions of gallons of crude oil into the oceans. This has happened a few times in my lifetime, I believe. But I remember like being in high school and watching one of these. And like there was just a live video feed of this tanker just... <laughs> what word can I use for effect here? The amount of oil flowing out of this thing. It was like the most grotesque thing you could imagine. It was like hundreds of gallons per minute or even second. I can't remember how outrageous it was, but just watching this, it's like, okay, this has been going on for 14 days now. Day 20 of this spill, we still haven't figured out a way to, to stop all this oil from just seeping into the ocean. It's like, my God. If you ever go to like an actual farm or like big agro business if you see the amount of water they use, it really makes me resent the propaganda telling me to conserve water. Someone that lives in LA, like I've lived through these droughts where it's like California needs to save water. Don't ask for that glass of water when you go to lunch. Turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth. Limit your shower to under 10 minutes, right? Now, these are all fair enough. Like, I actually 
happen to do that. You know, like if I'm ordering a beer, I don't want a water served with me because I do think it's a waste. If I'm only drinking water, as is often the case in Berlin, please bring it to me. Don't make me have to like pay for it. You know, it's coming from the tap. It's a very different cultural attitude about it. And I don't think Germany is doing it because it's afraid of wasting water. It's more just like, we want you to spend money on a beverage, quite frankly. But there are all these kind of influences to this sort of decision-making and ways to look at it, right? So to me, the reason I resent being told to take shorter showers, even though I'm like, I now do take quite short showers compared to 10 years ago, I liked a really long shower. Long, hot showers are very ameliorating and curative for people suffering from depression, to put it bluntly. I mean, it's a very soothing and comforting feeling to stand in a shower of very hot water. I don't really do that nowadays. I, um, I enjoy, I enjoy it. I enjoy water period, but I don't like overdo a shower. I'll even skip plenty of days showering. I, I feel like an efficient person regarding water consumption. And I might even let the water run when I'm brushing my teeth and washing my face. You know, when I'm getting ready for bed, let's say, I might let the water run for like two minutes, maybe even three minutes. Think about this amount of water, you guys. Think about it even over a lifetime. <laughs> I don't know how, many, how long it would take to fill up a pool with that amount of water. It would take a long time. It is not... A big deal. It is a negligible drop in the bucket, proverbially speaking. Compared to the amount of water that flushes over the crop fields of every country, I think the actual stat is that 90%, 90% of water is used in agriculture and other related business. I think that might even include runoff and other wastes of water. 10%, 10% of water in California is consumed by people. Total, that's drinking water, that's shower water. And to lecture the 50 million people in this state or whatever, that it's their job to conserve water is obscene to me. It's absolutely incredulous. And furthermore, for Californians to then lecture each other, effectively propagandized as useful idiots, I don't appreciate it. And of course, everyone will say, and I, all my friends say this when I have this conversation, hey, yeah, but every, it's every, little, every little bit helps. You know, everyone, if everyone does their part, we can make a dent. Like, no, no, you can't. If all of us stopped drinking water, we would still be in a drought because we are using so much water to grow almonds. We are the biggest, California is the biggest almond producer in the world by a large margin. Uh, we're also growing rice for some reason, tons of soy. And these new markets, these emerging markets of soy milk and almond milk, nut milk is, in my opinion, <laughs> worth boycotting. I don't want to put any more uh, financial incentive on growing almonds because almonds are literally taking away water that I can drink and bathe with. Literally. Like, it's tricky. Like, California is, um, it's really two states or three. There's Northern California, which is quite lush 
and it has the San Fernando, San uh, Joaquin Valley, which grows all the food. Um, and Northern California includes coastal California, um, you know, basically starting above Santa Barbara, like San Luis Obispo area, all the way up to Humboldt County. It's all very lush, redwood trees, marijuana farms. Um, it gets plenty of rain, and it's it's beautiful. Um, then you have the Sierra Nevadas, which is like this big mountain range um, down the side of the right side of California, and that separates it from Nevada, basically. Nevada is very dry because just over those mountains, it gets very dry, very, very arid. Southern California, it's kind of its own beast. It's like kind of this oasis. Um, and when I say Southern California, I mean larger LA metro. From Santa Barbara down to San Diego, this coastal part of the transverse mountain ranges. That's where most people in California live. It's a very small geographic area. It's It manages to be green. Uh, because it's not actually a desert itself, though it is a bit arid, but it does sustain itself from a really labyrinthine connection of pipes bringing water in from the Colorado River and also from Northern California. So LA definitely doesn't have enough water on its own to sustain itself and its people. The desert is like this third part of California that I don't even think of as California, you know, like, um, Riverside County and San, um, San Bernardino County, like these empty parts, like where Mojave Desert is and Death Valley, like that's not California, that's desert. You know, that's like Great Basin and Range territory. It might as well be Phoenix and Nevada combined, basically. So all that to say, like, <laughs> luckily, fortunate for Southern Californians, which is so new, um, it's not its own country, right? Because if it was its own country, it would have to buy all of that water. Um, because it's connected to Northern California and because that desert part is connected to the Colorado River, LA gets to basically just demand pipes to bring in all this water, which is not a problem because there is enough water. There is enough water for people. There is not necessarily... This is the whole political problem. There's not necessarily enough water for everyone in LA, especially as it grows, and the huge amount of money for the industry that makes so much money for the state, which is nuts, <laughs> nuts and grains. And yeah, I think that's an issue. Like I am against farmers, to be honest, to be blunt about it. I'm very fortunate that California is so fertile and that it makes money through this but I'm more of like a Hollywood or tech kind of person like California makes so much money already it's like the sixth biggest economy in the world by itself like I don't think we need the soybean market to be honest if we fell down to the 10th or even the 50th biggest economy in the world I still think California would be amazing and worth living in so the fact that we're number six in the world as a state on our own, it's so incredible that it just makes me like think, how greedy are we? How greedy is this state that it has to like lambast its populace to be more conservative with energy and water for the sake of the state's own profits, you know? So back to energy, finally. The same way that like we're propagandized about not consuming too much water even though there is enough water, we're told the same about energy. So during this heat wave, there were all these commercials 
through mass media telling everybody, keep your thermostats at this temperature, do your part, turn off all your lights and electricity anytime you can to avoid blackouts. Now, for sure, it's worth preventing blackouts. And for sure, it's good to be mindful of how much energy energy you're consuming and what temperature you're running in your house and how much that could affect the grid. And for people like my parents who have a, a large house, half of which they don't even use, it might not make sense to keep it frigid cold on a hot day, especially if they're at their offices. So a lot of this messaging, it totally does make sense. Like I get it from a public policy perspective that we want to remind people to be courteous and responsible with their consumption habits so that we don't suffer and people actually die, you know, from brownouts and blackouts. People can die from heat waves if they don't have like the, if their air conditioning turns off or something. So it's a real thing. But I went to the movies during that heat wave, and it was fucking cold in that theater. That auditorium was probably programmed to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, let's say like 12 degrees Celsius. No, maybe not 12, maybe like 14 or 15 degrees Celsius on a blistering hot day. So on this super hot day when you're like just sweating from standing in the shade, you have to take a sweater, you have to take a jumper or a hoodie with you to the cinema because it's so damn cold in there. Those auditoriums are enormous. They are bigger than a big house, each one of those auditoriums. There's 14 of them at this cineplex and that's just one cineplex in a city like Sacramento. The gall of public policy to target individual homes when you have businesses doing that I mean, that's just one example. Cinemas are big, but what about like, you know, golf courses are famous for this, for water use. You know, the amount of water that it takes to keep those golf courses so green is incredible. But like, you can think of other huge spaces. Now, some of these spaces, it's like, I do believe in the commons and I'll mention it now. Like in a way, it might be more efficient to cool down one really big building and let everybody go there versus everybody each having their own little pod that they're cooling down. I actually don't know the math of that, I'll admit. I don't know if it's more efficient to do that, but it's obviously less efficient to run something in addition, right? Furthermore, 60 degrees is way too cold. If you're telling me that I have to keep my thermostat in my own house at 77, no less, like 77 is cool enough for people, supposedly, or 78, can't remember what they said, why are you running this so hot or so cold? Like, why is that thermostat allowed to be programmed so cold? And it really just makes me irate. It's like the government should be going after big business, period. Stop regulating me. Regulate big business. And this really sums up my political beliefs as a quasi-libertarian. I believe in personal freedom and liberty, but I want to regulate markets and business. <laughs> like I am socialist in that regard. I am not socialist regarding the cultural stuff. You know, I think that's all laughable, but I really do believe in the kind of Bernie Sanders, OG Bernie Sanders style of like, let's keep an eye on business. 
and let's prioritize people and the commons, you know? National parks for enjoying nature, you know? Not everyone needs to have their own golf course or huge yard, all these acres, especially in big cities, right? Like, not everyone needs to grow a huge lawn. And I will also, like, you know... um, what's the word mock not mock the hypocrisy of politicians like democratic politicians like pelosi or someone who like say one thing and then they're millionaires that have all this you know opulence like i i think live quite modestly like i i like nice things but i do not waste energy i do happen to consume energy because i have i'm not i have a laptop i have an ipad i have a phone um i charge all of them i have the Nintendo Switch now, I charge that. Uh, I have a smart home, but I have a very modest circuit breaker and my energy bills are not anything crazy. And I live in a very small house. Um, and then I have, I rent a, a very small flat in Berlin, you know? And I just, I am very conscious of energy. And I've, I've definitely gotten into the habit as a European to like turn off all lights if you're not using them. But it's not because I think that lights consume so much energy. Nowadays, they don't really, I mean, since we've gone from incandescent and halogen to LEDs, supposing you have done that, you are not spending that much energy on lighting. If you still have the incandescence and old style lights, you kind of are, especially if you're leaving them on. I just don't conceptually like the idea of wasting the energy. It like sits odd with me. And yet I still don't want to be lectured and propagandized to about it. Don't tell me what to do when you look, go and let these guys do all sorts of grotesque things. Okay, and then furthermore, on the topic of our national energy, the U.S. is no longer energy dependent on anybody. Since the 70s and 80s, the whole like thing with um, the gas crisis from the OPEC wars, basically, where the where the Arabic nations basically agreed to like embargo and stop Americans from buying their oil you know that's what caused all that that can't happen anymore because after that the politicians of the states basically decided you know what we have our own natural resources let's just exploit those instead of buying oil from overseas and so we started making natural gas and there was a big political thing about it you know I watched this documentary about fracking which you know it's the movie where someone like turns on their water tap in the midwest or in you know the rust belt and like they can light it on fire so that was pretty alarmist and sensationalist and i do think that it's like really worth considering how those things are done and who suffers from that and what should be allowed from big business and all this but ultimately i do kind of agree with the more um I don't know. I guess you would say conservative, even though it's not. I don't know why this is a conservative topic. I guess it's because it's pro-business and less, quote, for the environment. But, like, it's cool that America is self-reliant on energy, maybe with a partnership with Canada. Like, North America makes its own energy, and it can sell energy, which it's doing. That's cool. And I think Germany should learn from that. So looking at Germany... It doesn't make its own energy. It does to an extent, but um, there are two ways that places like Germany can make energy, realistically. Coal and nuclear. Coal is, it doesn't really get dirtier than coal, except for maybe lumber. But burning coal, extracting coal from the ground and then burning it, 
is really, really gross, right? I mean, I don't think I need to go into further detail about it. It's a gnarly process, you know, the coal miners lived very arduous, sick lives. Um, these plants that emit, uh, you know, burnt coal out of chimneys. It's like very, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm thinking of like smog in LA and just the industrial revolution and chimney sweeps and all this dirty stuff, right? It's a gross form of energy, but it can be burned at all times of the day. Nuclear is this boogeyman scary thing because of Chernobyl, which fair enough, Chernobyl was a disaster and a terrifying catastrophe. And then Fukushima in Japan more recently, which was almost, I mean, I've never seen an amazing <laughs> HBO docu-series or, you know, fictionalized series about Fukushima. I would love to. <laughs> I don't know enough about Fukushima. Um, I know that no one technically died from it or something like very, very few. Um, and you would think that the Japanese would have their shit together compared to the Soviets. Um, but yeah, that happened. And so basically there's been this like huge PR campaign against nuclear power. And it's also associated obviously with like destruction, mass destruction because of nuclear bombs. So there's this whole thing. Like I grew up also thinking nuclear power was bad because of course you hear the word nuclear and you just think these terrible things. So I watched, I've watched a few TED Talks in my time that have really shaped how I think about a lot of things. And one of those TED Talks um, that you can Google if you're curious, it was simply this question put to two guys on stage. Is nuclear power as bad as we think? Or is nu nuclear power even bad? I, something like that. And one guy made the typical argument like, yeah, nuclear power is bad, of course. And then the other guy wasn't even saying it was good. He was just like, maybe it's not bad. Maybe we just think it's bad. He wasn't even arguing that it's good. But it, it, it was enough for me to re really consider, why is it bad? What do we think of that's so bad? And it does produce waste that is toxic and like terribly so. So it has to be controlled very, very well. But other than that, it is the cleanest, purest, most reliable energy source, period. And yet Germany is closing down all of its nuclear plants and it's reopening now, get this, coal plants. Germany is reopening coal plants. That is so dumb. Now I went to this over the summer in, um, in my local park or more specifically um, Tempelhoferfeld. There was a demo, a demonstration uh, for uh, alternative energy. Now, let's talk about alternative energy. It's cool. Alternative energy is cool, period. Like, I think it's cool for sure. I want to put solar panels on my roof. I love the idea of harnessing the wind, geothermal also, you know, tidal energy. Like, the way I look at it, and this is kind of like toward my third conceptualization of energy as like a life force or some sort of amorphous invisible thing. Like, I just think it's really cool to harness energy that's already being made by nature to just like grab it you know like the sun is gonna shine so can't we just grab that and power our electronics can't we just like make batteries that just soak up the energy nascent in the environment in the air like that's the future i want i love that i fucking love that 
And I cheer on science for battery technology developing, for miniaturizing these kind of things, for fitting more hours into my iPhone while still making it thinner. Stuff like that is so incredible. Now, that's done a lot of ways, like that iPhone example. It's not just that they're able to like maximize the battery power more. They're also just making chips more efficient. They're making light bulbs more efficient. They're making all the electronics we consume better which is incredible. I mean, I'm, it's so cool. Like I love that. I love Western culture, middle-class lifestyle, period. I'm totally not ashamed. I'm proud of that. I mean, just compare it to anything else, guys, compare it to anything else. So I'm really excited that we have a future in front of us in which our gadgets are even more powerful and capable and even less energy draining. But until then, we're kind of limited with what we've got. And what we've got are solar and new, and wind, sorry, solar and wind energy that are not really there in terms of powering a grid. You know, I have a friend, actually my cousin, who's in the business of solar power, and we got into a bit of a, you know, a, <laughs> an overly heated discussion, I think, because, you know, I don't think we were really disagreeing, but like, you know, he's very biased, I hate to say. Because he has his life invested in solar power. Now, I think that's great. I'm really proud of that. But one of the biggest points he can possibly make is that solar power did <laughs> provide full energy to one city for one day recently. Which is great, but that's like nothing. You know? It's really nothing. And... The fact is that we just don't know how to store the power of the sun when it's dark. We can't do that yet. Tesla is working on it. You know, battery technology is going to be an answer for that. But like even the most optimistic estimations are like 20 years away. And yet we have demonstrations in Germany that demand that we get onto full alternative energy by 2030, which is like eight years away, maybe 2035, 13 years away. How do you do that? Guys, what is your plan to do that? So I walked up to this demonstration and I said, um, how do you guys feel about nuclear power? Are you guys considering opening up and building new nuclear power plants? And they said, oh God, no, definitely not. And I said, well, what's your answer? And they said, solar and wind, of course. And I said, yeah, but the technology's not there for many years. Germany doesn't get that much sun or wind. And they're like, well, we just have to, we just have to. And that conversation was so telling to me, not even that telling, cause I kind of already knew this, but it confirmed this, <laughs> it confirmed my perspective, which is like, this is an ideological argument without facts to support it. And I think you just have to be realistic. Do you want to burn coal into the air? Do you want to stop using your electricity? Honestly, do you want to stop? Do you want to tell places like India that they're not allowed to go through an industrial revolution? Do you want poor people to pay more in their energy bills in order to make the grid cleaner? Just to summarize my feelings and thoughts about this topic politically, I want to vote for updating the grid to make energy more efficient to think that like in California or the US we're being told to conserve when we make so much energy on our own 
it's a little offensive to me. Like, why is our grid so inefficient? Why are blackouts a concern? Like, we're a very rich industrialized place with plenty of our own energy. Just make it work, you know? So I would vote for making it work better. Infrastructure. I would vote for better infrastructure. Who should pay for that? Well, the government. Like, I would rather have infrastructure than, like, you know, military, for instance, or even, for even like, social security or something big like that. Um, I don't think that it should be taxed to the detriment of poor people specifically. Like, you can add a tax, but maybe make it a, a sliding scale because energy bills are hard for households that are hand-to-mouth. So that's like something I'm concerned about. And it's just not really fair when we talk about this so cerebrally to ignore that. The reason that uh, energy is as affordable as it is, is because it does have, because it is outdated and has some of the byproducts that we're kind of politically against at the moment, like, you know, greenhouse gases. So I just think that the global warming thing, oh yeah, I guess I should close the book on the Jordan Peterson thing I brought up. I've come around to thinking what he's articulated more so, which is that people that make climate change this apocalyptic end-of-the-world event are scary to me because you can kind of justify anything when you make something of an issue to that extent. And I just don't know if it's really the huge global crisis that people say it is like it's a crisis i think it should be worked on i think like i said like you know people have to be considered of that stuff but not to the detriment of not to the like this finger wanging nazi level of it and to also say that like other plant other uh regions of the world can't industrialize because it's too dirty is not fair people become more clean and efficient and conscious and conscientious when they become more rich. So I would prioritize industrializing and making wealthy poor places. And it will mean more pollution for a moment, but then it will mean a lot less pollution overall in time. So that's kind of my like political take on that. <sighs> I'm not gonna go on too much about these other two topics because I realize that that's really the meat of this conversation is this kind of like political topic of energy. Um, I guess those are the points I just wanted to point out. The kind of like maddening position that Germany is in, the reliance on foreign energy, especially from someone like Russia, and the uh, the way in which we're propagandized and what we're made to believe about this topic. And it's not that I disbelieve it. I just think that it's it's not as clean and cut cut clean <laughs> as people say that it is. Like it's actually complex, and it's actually not fair to burden individuals like that and I don't really understand a country like Germany a populace or a culture that fetishizes the individual uh, sense of righteousness so much by protesting and demonstrating and then also recycling to the extent that they do whereas like versus like the actual impact on the earth as a as a culture you know as a consumerist modern culture like I don't think people understand that landfills are not 
what will kill the planet or us. Landfills are not that big of a problem. Making waste, you know, we get all obsessed, like, oh, it's not biodegradable. Like, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not everything will biodegrade, you know? Nuclear waste won't be biodegradable for sure. That's the worst thing about it. But there's so much space on this planet. There's so much unused space that if you just like, if you, what if you, what if, how about this? What if I made you this deal? You can live the exact life you want. You can consume and travel and drive and party and eat everything you want. And so can everyone else. And the only caveat is that we take a part of the planet, let's say the size of, let's even say the size of Germany. Let's even say that big, the size of Germany. Doesn't have to be where Germany is. We can even put it, we can make an island out of it. <laughs> Trash island, is, which is happening. Or we could put it in Siberia, or we could put it in like Greenland, or we, the Arctic, or the Antarctic. And that's all waste. It's waste that probably won't biodegrade. Maybe it will, part of it. But it won't poison the atmosphere. It won't leak into space. It won't, it's not going to be toxic to breathe. It's just waste. It's just like wrappers, you know? It's just like cartons of, you know, food products, you know? Like, what if that was the deal? What if you just had one place that was gross and everything went there? And if that really bothers you, what do you think about your trash can in your house? What do you think about your toilet? You know, what do you think about sewer systems in a city? You know, like people make waste. It's just the way it is. I, I think I'm just at peace with that. Like big deal. There's shit in the world. It exists. It's not that big of a problem. The only problem is if you're living among it, if you're consuming it, if it's in your environment, if it's in your water, that's terrible. That's gross. People get sick. But if you can m manage it, if you can control your waste, who cares? It's okay to have a trash bin in your building. It has to go somewhere. And it's the same with earth. It's the same with cities. Like, just make a place where it goes, you know? So that's how I feel um, about that. <laughs> I got onto the topic of waste, but yeah, with energy, like we should be allowed to use energy. The world is full of energy. It's just about harnessing it. The technology is not really there to harness it the way we want, but I'm excited for it. It's just not there yet. So I think we have to face facts and like deal with what we have. All right, um, it's 7 p.m. I'm leaving Sacramento. My mom's home. I'm gonna eat dinner with her, walk Kobe. Um, and then end this podcast now and not deal with the other topics. I think just floating those other topics of energy is, is enough. Um, I'll talk to you soon. Until next time. Ciao.